me ask you, what are you certain of? I mean, like really certain of. If you're an Eagles fan, how certain are you that they're going to win the Super Bowl this year? All right, we got one certain person. All right. I'm a Steelers fan, so I'm very certain they're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. But next year, hopefully. What are you certain about? Maybe you're a parent in here, and maybe you're certain that your kid is going to fight nap time today like crazy. Or maybe, maybe you're certain that, you know, your kid uh, is doing something that they shouldn't be doing. Or maybe you feel so certain that your friend at work, that yeah, maybe they've, they've done something and they've been gossiping about you and you just feel so certain about it. You know, there's all sorts of things that we as people can be, quote unquote, certain about. There can be fun things like sports and then there can be some more deeper things that we can get so passionate about so, and we can feel so certain of. But certainty is kind of a weird thing. You can have different degrees of certainty where you feel pretty sure that something's going to happen to like, mm, I'm not really certain at all. You know, there's kind of this sliding scale on certainty. And you can have people who are certain about different things. You can have those people who are the glasses half full people, those optimistic, they're just always certain everything's going to be good. And then you get those other people who are, you know, the glasses half empty. And they're just pessimistic. And there's just this bent that people have. And neither is right or wrong, but we just have these different uh, understandings of certainty. And, and certainty is strange because we can be so certain about something and yet be wrong about it. Certainty is kind of an elusive thing. It's hard to grasp. But I think if we're all honest, we want certainty in life. That's why we ask questions like, uh, is this the right person to marry? Is this the right job for me? Am I certain I really want to do this? Do I want to parent this way? We, we ask all these questions because we want to gain certainty. And uh, oftentimes, uh, I think certainty is it's kind of a fickle word. What I think we're really searching for is confident assurance in life. As we're, we're grasping for different things, we want to be confidently sure that, you know what? If I go down this path, it's going to turn out the way I think it's going to turn out. And again, some of us are more calculated, some of us are more are risky, but I think all of us to some degree want confident assurance in life for all sorts of things. But I think the big thing we want is can we have confident assurance in Jesus? You know, if we're going to stake our eternity on this man and on the teachings of the book, the Bible, are we, do we have confident assurance? Is our hope confident or is it kind of wishy-washy? Now, last week, Pastor Corey, he mentioned that this year we're going through the book of Luke. And uh, as we go through the book of Luke, we'll, we'll spin off into different conversations that uh, will pop up in the book of Luke. But we'll keep coming back to it kind of as the backbone for this year. And the book of Luke, if you've never read it, it's a biography of the life of Jesus. It's called one of the Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four books. Start out the New Testament where we get to learn about who Jesus is, what he did here while he was on earth. And as we read through this, a good question would be, can we, can we trust this? Can we be sure that these things actually happened? And as we're going to see today, I believe Luke, who wrote the book, he, he wants us to read his gospel, and he wants us to walk away with certainty that this man, Jesus, is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is God. He is our 
hope. So we're going to jump into the book of Luke today for the first time for this year. And it's going to be Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. That's what we're looking at. So feel free to follow along uh, in your Bible, whether it's a paper Bible, a digital Bible. You can go to the follow along on our website. You can get all the notes for today and follow along there. But let's read this. This is uh, Luke 1, 1 to 4. It says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. All right, so there's a couple things here. First of all, we see Luke, he says, he says, hey, that there's been different accounts that have been drawn up apparently during Luke's time before he had written this gospel. There were other people uh, writing down uh, maybe a whole bi- biography of Jesus or different stories. We definitely have Matthew, Mark, and John as well. But there were other people writing things down, trying to, to capture what's happened. And he says that they have been writing this account about all that has been fulfilled among us. And so this idea of being fulfilled, there there were things that Jesus did that fulfilled what was being prophesied about the coming Savior, Messiah, in the Old Testament. So Luke's saying, hey, there's been all these things that this guy, Jesus, he fulfilled. And he goes on and says, there are even eyewitnesses still um, who who became servants of the word. And he says, these are the things that have been circulating, all these accounts about the things Jesus did, and there are these eyewitnesses to these things. And so he says, you know what? Verse 3, with that in mind, uh, I carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So here we have Luke telling us something very important about himself, something we need to keep in mind as we're going through this. Luke is an investigator. He's a historian. He's not just throwing together all these things. It's not like he went to the internet and found, here's a blog about Jesus, and here's a blog about Jesus, and here's someone's opinion about Jesus, and I think this might have happened about Jesus, and he's just putting it all together. No, he's carefully investigating the facts about who this man was. He's going to the eyewitnesses. And so let's, let's stop and let's ask, who is Luke? There's a couple things I want us to see about this man named Luke, this guy that we're going to be reading his work all year long. First off, off, he was a doctor. We learned that from Colossians chapter 4. He was a physician. And we'll see that come up in the book of Luke. There are times where he'll use language, medical language, that would seem would be odd for someone to use if they weren't a doctor. So things that like the crucifixion or when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's certain details that come up that's, that help point to the fact that this is the same Luke, that he was really a doctor. And if he was a doctor, it means he was an educated individual. He had had schooling. He, he, he had a certain degree of education about him. We also learn that he was a Gentile, and we learn that from Colossians 4 as well. And a Gentile, if you're not familiar with that term, that's a non-Jew. And that's so important. I think that's so interesting. Here we have someone writing a gospel of the life of Jesus, and Jesus was a first century Jewish man. He came to earth and he claimed that he was fulfilling the Jews, the Jews' Bible, the Old Testament. He said, hey, I'm, I'm fulfilling these things. And the New Testament all then points back to all these ways Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies and whatnot. And here, so here we have someone who's not a Jew, someone who wouldn't have an agenda of like, I got to make Jesus fit the Old Testament scriptures. He's a Gentile. He wouldn't have had that agenda. But somewhere along the way, he came to know Jesus. Jesus. 
through someone telling him about Jesus. See, Luke wasn't an eyewitness. He was an educated Gentile who at some point, someone told him about Jesus and he put his faith in Jesus. And then he says, you know what? I need to investigate these things carefully. Now, we also learn that he, he traveled with Paul in the book of Acts. And so he, he would have brushed uh, uh, alongside shoulders with Paul and different people. So he would have learned these stories from, from Paul and different people. Now, this next one I think is interesting. Often when, if someone had asked me before this week, who wrote most of the New Testament, I would have just said, Paul did. Because Paul, he writes most of the books of the New Testament. But if you line up, like, word for word, who wrote the most, Luke actually did. Not an apostle, but Luke did. A Gentile who was not an eyewitness of Jesus. I think that's so amazing that God used him to write most of the New Testament. And then secondly, he wrote a two-volume set. He wrote the book of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. So Luke is an interesting person to be writing this. He's saying, hey, I'm carefully investigating everything. And he is an educated Gentile who wants to go through all the eyewitnesses and tell us about who this man, Jesus, is. And it says then, going back to the, the passage in Luke, it says he writes an orderly account. And so he's, he's not, again, just throwing things together. There's purpose. There's intentionality. And it's cool when you read through the book of Luke, you actually see things that happen in Luke that don't happen in the other Gospels. Like, where do we go for the Christmas story? We go to the book of Luke. Yeah, there's details in the other Gospels about the birth of Jesus, but Luke has the most drawn-out story of the Christmas story. We also have an amazing story in Luke about Jesus when he's a boy. The story when he goes to the temple and his parents leave him there. That would be a crazy, crazy day for you if you're a parent. Like, that would be crazy for Mary and Joseph. They lost the Son of God. Like, oh my gosh. But Luke... He records that. None of the other Gospels do. And again, he says he's investigating everything from the beginning. Where would he have learned that story? Probably from Mary herself. And so we have these glimpses that, you know, Luke isn't just saying these things. He's including details and things that help point us to, you know what? He was a physician, and so we see that coming out. He's, he wanted to investigate everything, and so we see him adding things that the other Gospel writers don't do. He was an investigator. He was a historian writing an orderly account. And here's the kicker. Why was he doing it? It was for certainty. He says, so that most excellent Theophilus could have certainty. Now, who is Theophilus? Uh, We don't have much information about him. This is basically what we have. Um, We're not sure who he is. Likely, he was probably some sort of government official, um, someone who had kind of some status in society um, because of that title, Most Excellent Theophilus. That's used in other manuscripts, other places, to talk about people who held the public office or, or whatnot. And so he was probably a, a, a political leader of some sort, maybe a, a ruler in a town or something. But uh, he also could have been the one to help pay for Luke's investigations, you know, for Luke to travel around to talk to eyewitnesses, he would need someone to sponsor him, and Theophilus may have been that person. We just don't know, but it's interesting. Luke wants Theophilus to have certainty about the things he's been taught. He doesn't just want him to know it. He doesn't just want him to believe it. He wants him to be certain of it. You know, there's a lot of things we can know, but we're not nece- we don't necessarily have the conviction of it that it's going to change our life or we're going to put our faith and trust in it. There's other things we might believe in, but we kind of 
believe in it, but we don't really have certainty in it. We more just wishy-washy kind of hope that it happens. But Luke's not saying any of that. He's saying, I want you, Theophilus, to be certain. And uh, I think that is so important because all of us could use a little more certainty in life, right? All of us could use a little more confident assurance. Maybe you're here today or you're listening online and maybe you aren't a believer in Jesus. Maybe you're skeptical and you're doubting and I'm so glad that you're listening. You could use a little more certainty that these claims are actually true before you put your faith and trust in him. And I understand that. Or maybe you're here today and you've been a believer for decades. You still could use some more certainty. You still, I think, could step into some more confident assurance about who Jesus is. Because when we gain certainty, certainty helps produce stuff within us. As we gain conviction, we start to move in certain directions. As we gain confident assurance, our life begins to change. Because here's the thing, certainty breeds hope. Certainty helps produce hope within us. And this is what I think we really need. We as people, we're... We need hope. Just look around our culture. Our culture needs hope. People are putting their hope in all sorts of things. And that's the thing is people, we have to put our hope somewhere. That's just hardwired into us. We have to reach for something and say, I hope this is going to happen. I hope that this occurs. We look for just whatever we can to place our hope in and say, if only this happens, life will be better. If only I get this job, or if I only marry this person, if I only can get this much money and sit back and retire, if I can get this or that. or th- We put our hope in all sorts of things. And often in things that aren't inherently wrong. But where is our hope in our God? Do we have a confident assurance about him? Hope in our culture is often this kind of wishy-washy mindset of, well, I hope it doesn't rain today. Or... I hope it doesn't snow today. Or if you're me, I hope it does snow because I like snow. Does anyone else like snow? Anyone else crazy like me? All right, awesome. Yeah, I hope it snows. I don't have any confidence, though, that it is going to snow because it's been a bad winter for snow. You know, we have hope in all sorts of things. I hope I have a good decision. I hope I have a good year. I hope I have pizza for lunch. Again, not really conviction, but just kind of this wishy-washy optimism. But Luke is saying, no, we need to have conviction. Because when we have conviction in who Jesus is, that's what's going to produce the hope in his message. That's what's going to change our lives. And I believe this is true. And I have a couple people I want to introduce you to that I think as they gain certainty in Jesus, that's where then their hope in him as their savior came. The first guy, his name is C.S. Lewis. All right. Uh, You may have heard of him before. He is one of the most uh, influential Christian writers of the 20th century. He was an atheist, and he was very much fine in his beliefs until he started to get challenged by the idea of theism, meaning the idea of there being a God. And then after that, he got challenged by the idea of Christianity. And he writes about his conversion story, and this is what he calls himself. He says that he was the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. Like, he didn't have a desire to put his faith and trust in Jesus, but he became so convinced that Jesus was who the Bible claims he is, that he says, you know what? I had to follow the evidence where it led me. I, I couldn't lie to myself. I, I became so certain of it that I had to give my life to God. And then after that, 
We get things, books that he writes like Mere Christianity and the Chronicles of Narnia, and you can study his life and you can see the hope that he had in his Savior. That hope only came after he became convicted and convinced that the Bible was true, after he became certain of it. Another man, his name is William Ramsey. William Ramsey. William Ramsey, he was this, an archaeologist, a Scottish archaeologist. He was the, uh, the, one of the leading authorities on the New Testament in his day. And he was an atheist as well. These are some of the things he describes talking about Luke, the book we're going through this year, and talking about Acts. He's talking about the, the author of these works, and he says, they are a highly wrought and imaginative description of the early church. He says, his object, meaning the author of Luke and Acts, his object was not to present a trustworthy picture of facts. Another place, he says, he cared not for geographical or historical surroundings of the period. What's his view of Luke? Is it pretty good? No. He doesn't trust Luke at all. William Ramsey, he goes to the Middle East. He goes to the places that are described in Luke and Acts to help continue to disprove that Luke is a terrible historian. And he comes away giving his life to Jesus. And this is what he then says. He says, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, he is possessed of the true historic sense. In short, this author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. He places his hope in Jesus, not just willy-nilly, not just because he's like, yeah, I need something to believe in. No, but he gains certainty. He gains conviction. He realizes, you know what? There's something I can stand on here. This Luke guy can be trusted. I'm going to place my faith in Jesus. The last guy is a guy still living. His name is J. Warner Wallace. J. Warner Wallace is a detective. He grew up in an atheist home. He was an atheist up until his mid-30s. J. Warner Wallace, um, he is a cold case detective. His work has been seen on uh, TV and on the news, things like Dateline and whatnot. Um, If you've watched that, maybe you've seen him on there. But he is like a top-ranked cold case detective, super good at what he does. And he one day was, was challenged, or he, his wife asked him, hey, can we go to church? We're raising the kids now. We should maybe introduce them to Jesus. And he's like, sure, whatever. He didn't go because he felt convicted or certain that Jesus was real. He went just to appease his wife. And while he was at church, so the pastor said some things, and he's like, you know what? I should take my cold case detective skills and see if this thing is really true. And so he goes to the Bible, and he, this is what he says. He says, So I began my investigation of the Gospels, not to find God, but simply to steal from Jesus the wisdom he allegedly possessed. Along the way, I became convinced the Gospels were reliable eyewitness accounts. I eventually examined the Gospel itself, the message of salvation offered through Christ alone, and became a Christian. I moved from certainty related to the accounts to certainty related to my own desperate, fallen nature and need for a savior. And he goes on and he says, I'm not a Christian because it quote-unquote works for me. I had a life prior to Christianity that seemed to be working just fine. And my life as a Christian hasn't always been easy. I'm a Christian because it is true. I'm a Christian because I want to live in a way that reflects the truth. I'm a Christian because my high regard for the truth leaves me no alternative.
Those are just three guys. I get it. But they were both, all three of them, devout atheists. All of them end up putting their hope in Jesus. And that hope is bred out of them becoming convinced and becoming certain of who Jesus is. Certainty and hope have to go together because certainty breeds hope. And I think that's so important in our current cultural moment because, again, this idea of hope is so wishy-washy in our culture. Everyone places their hope somewhere, and oftentimes people just throw their hope into whatever just feels best in that moment or whatever seems best in that moment. But as Christians, we are called to have a hope that isn't wishy-washy. It's meant to be a hope that is confident, a hope that has certainty. Uh, A pastor, his name's J.I. Packer, he described it like this. He says, optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty guaranteed by God himself. It's very different for us as Christians to say, well, I hope hope I'm saved and I hope I'm going to heaven someday. I, I hope I am. It's very different from that saying, you know what? I am saved. And I am going to be with Jesus for forever. There's a difference there. Now, I do fully understand the process of needing to wrestle through questions and doubts and struggling. I'm not saying we can't ever have those seasons. Those seasons, I think, are natural. Those seasons, I think, God actually uses to help reaffirm and refine within us confident hope. When I was in high school, I, I placed my faith in Jesus as a little kid. I don't remember the exact moment of it. It wasn't, some people have a a conversion story where it's like a fireworks display where they're like, not saved, not saved, not saved. Boom, they're saved. And they can point back to it and say, this is the day. And that's awesome. That just wasn't my story. My story was more of like a leaky faucet where just over time I heard the gospel message and it was just leaking into my, my sink. And sooner at, at some point it just overflowed and I was saved. And I don't know the exact moment of my conversion, but I knew Jesus I was saved, and I, in high school, knew that I felt like, you know what, I feel like God's calling me to Bible college or whatnot. My senior year of high school, though, I plummeted into a season of doubt. I began questioning, is God, is my faith real? Am I really a Christian? Is God real? Like, can I really trust Jesus? And I went through that season struggling alone. I should have talked to people about it, but but I didn't. But thankfully, God in that season used different events in my life to help show me and refine within me this idea that Jesus is real. And I came out of that season of doubt more confident in Jesus than I ever had been before. And so I don't think seasons of doubt and questioning are bad. But as Jesus followers, we need to constantly be seeking and moving towards a confidence. Because without that confidence, our hope is just going to be wishy-washy optimism. And So what kind of hope do you have? today. Just sit there for a second and process for yourself. If you had to describe your hope in Jesus, describe your hope in life with him forever, what would it be like? Is it conviction or is it just a wishy-washy optimism? Again, it's okay if you're in a season of struggle and doubt and that's okay, but we need to just think about where we're at. Because again, Luke wrote this so that Theophilus could have certainty, not so that he could just believe it. He wanted him to have conviction. 
Sometimes people can approach Christianity or talk about Christianity as though it's just a blind leap into the dark. I don't know if you've ever heard someone talk like that. Um, I've heard different people talk that way, um, where they just describe being a Christian as though, well, you're just kind of blindly leaping into the dark, hoping God will catch you. When I was at Lancaster Bible College, I was in a class. It was an apologetics class, and apologetics is this idea of defending the Christian faith. You know, you study different things in science and culture and history and whatnot. And uh, we had an an atheist guy come in and would would talk with the class. Our our prof would invite him in each semester, and it was really it was really good. But I was talking to this guy, and he he stopped and said, "Well, let's define faith." And he I don't remember exactly how he defined it, but he basically said. You have Christians, faith is just this, you know, you're just kind of blindly leaping, um, hoping that something will happen. And I just didn't really process it well and was like, sure, I'll give you that. And we kept going on in the, the discussion. And afterwards, as we're debriefing, my prof brings up like, Andrew, like, that's not faith at all. We can place faith in things. We place faith in things all the time because we, put, we have certainty in them. You, know, you came in here and sat down on a chair because you were pretty certain that it would hold you. You got in your car and you, you drove to church because you were pretty certain that, you know what, this car is going to get me there. You know, we have, place our faith in things all the time, not just based on a blind leap into the dark, but based on conviction, based on confidence. And I'd encourage you, if you're in a season where you're struggling or you, you've never thought about this idea of certainty in your Christian hope, in your Christian faith, maybe explore some things that could help give you some more confidence and assurance. And we are living in a time and place where there, there's a ton of resources for these kinds of things. There's a ton of apologetic type stuff, different arguments about history and science and different things that I have found helpful, that have helped give me confidence that what I believe as a Christian is true. And I can't go into a ton of them today. One of them, though, is this idea of the fine-tuning of the universe, and just super simplifying it, basically looking at our universe, and we see how it's so finely tuned. In science over the last few decades, we've, scientists have gained so much knowledge about all these different, quote-unquote, scientific constants of the way our universe works. And they're blown away by how precise they are. And they say, you know what, if they were off by just the tiniest bit, we wouldn't be here. It's like going into a spaceship and you see all these like controls and buttons and gizmos and someone says, all right, you need to fine-tune this spaceship to get you to Mars. You would have zero certainty in Andrew if someone asked me to do that. I would have zero certainty. I know I wouldn't be able to get there. But an astronaut, someone who knows how to finely tune that machine to do what it needs to do, that's someone you would put your hope and your confidence in. Well, when we look at the universe, we see these how fine-tuned it seems to be. And if you're going on the follow-along, I have a YouTube video posted in the follow-along that I encourage you to go check out that talks more about that. Another thing that's helped me um, gain confidence in the Bible is studying history. You know, there are um, documents that outside of the Gospels that point to Jesus. In fact, there are so many that we can reconstruct the main tenets of our faith from non-Christian or non-first century Jewish um, manuscripts. We can learn about how Jesus 
was born as a, of a virgin, we can learn about the fact that he, um, he lived and had disciples in the modern-day Israel. Um, we can learn about some of his teachings. We can learn about the fact that he died on a Roman cross. We can learn about the fact that he uh, rose from the dead and came back to life and that his followers worshipped him as God. We can learn all of that information from outside of the Bible. And there's, again, on the follow-along, I have a, a video. I'd encourage you to go check it out. It's by J. Warner Wallace, that guy that we talked about earlier, where he goes through different historical documents. Maybe you're not nerdy like me, and those things don't help you at all. For me, those types of things help just reassure me, help give me confidence that, you know what? Our faith aligns with reality. And that gives me confidence and conviction, which breeds hope within me. There's a lot more that we can go into. But this idea of certainty is so, so important. Because here's the reality. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if he didn't come back to life, if we aren't certain of that, then do you know what the Apostle Paul describes us in 1 Corinthians? He says that we should be pitied. Basically says we're foolish. If Jesus didn't actually come back from the dead, if he didn't rise again, why would he say that? He's saying that because what we believe, our faith, isn't just some big abstract construct of, of, our, of our imagination. He says, no, it's put in time, in place, in history. Our God really did come to earth. He really did put on flesh, and he really did die, and he really did come back to life. And if that's a historical event, then we can be certain he is who he claimed to be. And if we're certain, then we can have hope. And again, not wishy-washy hope, but a confident hope. And this is why hope is so important. If certainty breeds hope, then hope produces action. We move towards the things we're hopeful for, right? If you're hopeful in your sports team, you're probably going to, your actions are going to show that. You're probably going to talk about them more. You're probably going to, unless you're a diehard fan, you're probably going to, you're going to watch them on TV more. You're going to root for them. You're going to, you're going to start to learn the players if you're just kind of a passive fan and your team's not doing well, it's easy to just kind of like, well, there's next year, you know? Or if you're confident and hopeful that you're going to get a certain position or you you have a certain gifting, you're going to move in that direction. You're going to continue to learn and grow and how you can do that job better. You're going to um, use those giftedness to, to do things to bless others. Or if you're confidently hopeful in the person you're dating that you should ask them to be married, you're going to move in that direction direction. As I was dating Amanda, I was at first hopeful, like kind of that wishy-washy, optimistic, hopeful, like, I hope this is the one. And then as I got to know her, I became more certain and more confident that if I don't ask her to marry me, I'm a fool. And so I became certain, and that certainty bred hope, and that hope then bred action. If we have a wishy-washy hope in Jesus, why would we live for Jesus? Does that make sense? If our hope is just this worldly optimism, why would we ever think about, you know what, I should go share Jesus with my neighbor because I'm not even 100% sure. I'm not confident in this. Why would we desire to spend more time with church family and build fellowship and relationship and serve one another if we're just kind of, we believe something nice. But if we believe something that's true, that hope should produce action within us. And that's where I want us to land today. If we don't have confidence in our God, 
We're not going to have hope that he is our Lord and Savior. We're not going to have hope in him this year. And we're not going to live for him in 2023. We're just not. But the more we gain confidence and assurance that the gospel is true, that Jesus is real, that this book, the Bible, is inspired by God. I'm telling you, the more we're going to want to live for Jesus. Not saying it's going to be easy, but saying that it's going to move us in that direction. So my question for you as we begin to wrap up is, how can you gain confidence this year in 2023? How can you gain confidence in Jesus? How can you gain more assurance and conviction that what we believe is true? Because if it's not true, we should be pitied. But if it is true, we should be changing the world. Not by our own strength, but through the strength of Jesus within us. And here's the reality. Confidence doesn't appear spontaneously. Confidence grows through process. Confidence grows through process. When I was in high school, my senior year of high school, um, I was in a play. It was called Godspell. Um, I got this, the lead role in that play my senior year. It's crazy. I'd never done anything like that before in my life. I was so nervous. But as I got my part and as I went through the process of learning my lines and, and learning the songs and different things, um, I began to gain confidence. And we had a few months to prepare for the show, but there was one, one singing part at the end that I was so unconfident in. It was this part where my, my, I had to sing a higher note than like what I felt comfortable singing. I was like, geez, this is going to be embarrassing. I didn't realize this was going to be in this. Otherwise, I wouldn't have signed up for this. The whole time, I'm gaining confidence in this show, confidence that, you know, I know my lines, I know what I should do, I know the dances and different things. It wasn't until the week before the show, every time we'd get to this point in the show, I would just struggle to sing it. And finally, I was just like, all right, I'm just going to, I don't care what people think anymore, I'm just going to try to sing this. And I did it. And I gained confidence, and I gained certainty, and I never struggled with that part again. But if I hadn't gone through the process of three months of practicing and failing and trying again and trying again, and then just finally doing it, like I would not have had that confidence come showtime. Confidence doesn't just appear. It grows. And so if you don't have confidence in Jesus, um, what are you doing about that? Because it's not just going to magically appear. We have to take steps. And there's three people that I'd like to speak to as I wrap up. People who might be feeling different things right now. Because I get it. Hearing a sermon about certainty, it's easy to walk away feeling like, well, that's good that Andrew might feel that way, but I've been struggling with this, and Andrew doesn't know that I'm struggling with that, and this just happened, and 2022 was horrible, and 2023 doesn't appear to be good. How can we have certainty? I just feel so skeptical or discouraged or whatnot. So I want to talk to people who might be feeling some different things. And the first group is, if you're feeling skeptical or doubting, if that's you today, one, it's, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to ask questions about our God. Our God can handle our questions. Go to the Psalms, go to the book of Lamentations, go to different places in the Old Testament, and you see um, people are asking God some really hard questions, and God can handle them. If you're doubting, it's okay. God knows we're sinful beings. He knows that we struggle. I struggle. But if we're feeling skeptical today, I'd like to encourage you, um, I'd like to encourage you to, to do this. Don't just ask questions. 
Look for answers. Don't just ask the questions. Don't just sit there. Don't do what Andrew did when he was in 12th grade and just tried to struggle by himself. Talk to somebody. Look for resources. Gain confidence in those things. I'd encourage you, don't just ask the questions. Look for answers. And I'm saying that because I know people who have just had question after question after question, and they're just a question machine, but there's no quest for actually trying to sort things out. So don't just be a question machine. Look for answers. The second group of people is if you're feeling discouraged today, if you're feeling discouraged, like, you know what? 2022 is hard. I don't know what to do. I don't feel like I can be certain that Jesus is actually going to show up, that he's actually real. There's two things I'd like to say to you. The first is hold on to his promises. Hold on to those things. Our God promises that when we put our faith and trust in him, we are a new creation and that we are going to spend eternity with him. When we get our eyes off of just the present and put our eyes on the eternal and realize, wow, this life is like a vapor, but he's promising us eternity. I'll tell you what, for me, it's easier than to to deal with the worries and the heartaches and the frustrations of the here and now when I realize God's giving me the, the there and then. And so I'd encourage you to hold on to those promises. Or maybe you're feeling like today, you know what? I've sinned and I just, I don't feel like God wants me back. Go to the God's word and realize that he says in 1 John that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Like that's God's promise to you. We can so easily get blinded when we, when we don't hold on to the things God has told us. Go to his word, hold on to those things. And secondly, preach the gospel to yourself. As sinful human beings live in a sinful fallen world, we're naturally going to want to put our hope in other things. And we have to constantly recenter and come back to the fact that, you know what? At the end of the day, at the end of our lives, at, th- at the end of eternity, if you could say that, the only thing that really matters is, do we put our faith in Jesus or not? And the good news is that our God loves us. We don't deserve his love. And so we can get through the hardships of this life, I think, so much easier, so much better, so much more confidently when we lay and rest in the love of our Savior. When we, when we take our eyes off of that, it's easy to just live in the discouragement. And lastly, if you're still with me, lastly, if you're feeling confident, if you're here today, you're saying, you know what? I've gained confidence in my Savior. I do want to live for him. I'd encourage you to do this. If you're feeling confident, let your hope drive you to action. Let 2023 be a year where maybe you let that confidence you have, that's bred hope within you, actually produce some action in your life. Maybe some new action, because maybe there are actions you've been doing, but maybe there's some, something else you could do. Or maybe there's, there's a, a, something new God has on your horizon. Because here's the thing. If you have this confidence, there's two groups of people that need you. The first is your church family because there's people in here who are feeling skeptical or feeling discouraged who are hurting. And the hope you have in Jesus is a light that they need to see. So what would it look like this year to to make church a priority or to jump into a small group for the first time or to serve on a serve team or to say, you know, I'm going to reach out to one church family member a week and I'm going to try to encourage people because there's people here who need that. The second group is what about the non-believers in your life, your friends, your co-workers? If, if they don't have Jesus, they don't have eternal certainty. 
They don't have the hope you have, and that's what they desperately need. And I'm not saying you have to go with a megaphone and go to their door and, and you know, shove the gospel down their throat, but what would it look like to try to build a relationship with them, to invite them over or to text them or, or try to take steps to let them know about the hope you have? Again, certainty breeds hope, and hope produces action. And as Jesus followers, if we're going to follow after Jesus, being his disciple means we have to take action. And so, church family, this year as we go through the book of Luke, I'd encourage us, let's continue to to see that what we're reading here is coming from a guy who is a great historian, an amazing investigator. And he's trying to put all of this forth so that you and I, so that we, just like Theophilus, can have certainty that Jesus is our Savior. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we can gather and that we can worship you. Thank you for being our God. Lord, thank you for not being just distant, but you you stepped into time and space. You you came into our history and you you really did live and you really did die and you rose again. And Father, I pray for all of us here. We're all at different levels of certainty about you. Some of us are very confident, and then some of us don't believe at all. And Lord, the great news is that you want to meet all of us, no matter where we're at, and you want to continue to to drive us closer and closer to your heart. And so I pray for us this year. May we gain confident assurance in you, so that our hope in you, our hope in the gospel, can be a light to those around us. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your promises. Amen.